Well, good morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up uh, this morning to, to the book of Acts. Uh, I thought, uh, since this is our, our last uh, time together prior to the launch, can you believe that? Uh, this is happening next week, guys. Uh, and uh, so that, that's uh, just really exciting to see uh, uh, everything that the Lord is bringing together and all of, uh, all of our work together uh, as, a, as a team, as a church uh, coming to fruition, and uh, what I thought uh, we could do is uh, kind of look look at the early church uh, and kind of uh, help see see what took place in the early church and kind of use that to guide our expectations because uh, next week is uh, is not the the finish line but it's it's the starting line and we've said that before uh, that the goal isn't just to to launch a church and then disband uh, the, the goal is is to is to launch the church and and that's just the, the beginning of ministry that's going to, to carry on for for days months and years uh, to come uh, and uh, oftentimes uh, we can be uh, nostalgic of the early church, right? Or just of any, any past experiences uh, in our lives, right? Uh, we, can, we can often look back and remember and focus upon uh, the most uh, uh, enjoyable aspects uh, uh, of the past, right? Uh, and sometimes uh, we can hear somebody else telling a story and uh, we're like, wait, you're leaving out a bunch of details. Uh, you're, you're focusing on some of the good, but there was a lot of bad uh, on that camping trip or on that uh, other, you know, vacation. Uh, so, so we naturally kind of focus in on on what is uh, the good, uh, but oftentimes we can we we have less of an emphasis upon, uh, I guess, the bad and the ugly that goes with it. Uh, and so, uh, oftentimes the the early church uh, is held up as uh, the perfect church, and that's uh, the ideal of what we what we should be striving for is what we see in Acts uh, chapter two and chapter four, chapter five. Uh, but also, what we'll see is the uh, the early church, while it was a, a great model to strive after, it still wasn't perfect. They they had plenty of things uh, to deal with. So what I wanted to to look at it is kind of look through the early part of uh, the book of Acts this morning together and kind of see. Uh, Three observations uh, just about the the early church to, to kind of help uh, coach uh, and guide our own expectations of hey what what is life going to be like uh, in our church in the future uh, and um, kind of we'll kind of just look briefly through Acts and see if we, we begin in Acts chapter one uh, and I'll uh, I want you guys to talk to me a little bit this morning we'll, we'll use your your headings in your, in your Bibles uh, to kind of see okay what's taking place in Acts so Acts chapter one uh, what do we have there at the beginning. Uh, what little heading do you see? Prologue. <laughs> Prologue, okay. Uh, or I have the, the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? And then we have the ascension of Christ. Uh, so Christ goes up into heaven, leaving his disciples, saying, I want you to be my, my witnesses uh, in Jerusalem uh, and Judea and Samaria to the, to the uttermost parts of the earth. So he leaves them with a commission to go and, and push forward with the gospel to make disciples of all the nations. Uh, and then... Uh, Matthias is chosen to replace uh, Judas uh, because Judas uh, went and killed himself after betraying the Lord Jesus. Uh, and then Acts chapter 2, the, the church is born. Uh, the Holy Spirit uh, comes upon uh, the apostles in the early church on the day of Pentecost. And uh, this is the, the inauguration of a new period in history. And then we have uh, Peter's sermon uh, in Acts chapter 2. He preaches there in uh, the temple uh, and 3,000 souls get saved. All right, we see that in Acts, uh, look with me in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. And I wish uh, 
wish everyone would respond to my preaching in this way, uh, but uh, I, I know uh, that won't that's always be the case. But 2.37, the, the crowd responds to what they've heard from Peter, and they say, now, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. How, how amazing would that have been to, to be there and to, to, to see that and experience that? And that's also one of the, one of the beauties of of church planting is we get to reach new people. There's an emphasis upon sharing the gospel and, and winning the lost to Christ. And as uh, we, we're all equipping everybody to be able to go forth, as uh, even as Peter did, and, and proclaim the gospel to others, as we're sharing the gospel, there will be some who reject, but there will also be some who, who receive the word, uh, just as this crowd did uh, on that day uh, 2,000 years ago. Uh, but also, uh, as, as the word was going forth, as the word was being proclaimed, uh, it wasn't just uh, that they got saved and then they, again, just kind of disbanded. Uh, th- this is, again, the, the starting line for the church in Jerusalem. And let's see, uh, in the very next paragraph, we see what they then began to devote themselves and how the gospel transformed their lives. Uh, beginning in verse 42 of chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And it's amazing just that we see the, the fellowship uh, that, they, that they shared. And uh, Luke, the author of Acts, uh, kind of gives us this summary statement of this is what life was like in the early church. And he gives it to us here. And then turn over to Acts chapter 4. Uh, beginning uh, in verse 32, we're going to see another summary statement that's very similar. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as had need, as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then again, we we see another summary uh, in Acts chapter 5. Uh, beginning uh, in verse 12. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people ha- held them in high esteem. And more 
than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that even they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. Then as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Uh, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Uh, and so we have the, these three big summary statements uh, of this is what life was like in the early church. And uh, later on in the book of Acts, uh, we'll see Paul or Luke just make a smaller statement of, hey, and, and the gospel was going forth and the word was going forth. And that should conjure up in our minds of this is what was taking place, this kind of fellowship. And, and if we look back at uh, Acts uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 42 to 47, we'll just look briefly and, and, and make, some, make some observations about what we see. See, this is... This is uh, the good of the early church. This is what we should strive to copy. Uh, I guess observation number one, we said we were going to make three observations. This is what we should strive to copy, and that would be the advancement of the gospel uh, and then the results that come with the advancing of the gospel. And if you look at uh, verse 42, they, they devoted themselves to four things. What were they? We have the, the apostles' teaching, Okay? To, to, to hearing from the word of God as it was proclaimed by the apostles. They, they dedicated themselves, they devoted themselves also to fellowship. I mean, they, they spent time together, uh, not just you know, watching chariot races, uh, but, uh, but, but diving into the word and, uh, and bringing the word to bear upon their lives uh, and worshiping together. Uh, they devoted themselves also to the breaking of bread. Okay, and... Uh, they ate together. They enjoyed one another's company. Uh, that's the idea here, the breaking of bread. I can also point to, uh, to communion, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, they, they enjoyed fellowship meals together. And then fourth, but certainly not least, of what they devoted themselves to was to, to prayer. Yeah, that's, that's what they devoted themselves to. Uh, and then what was the result? It said that, that awe came upon all of them. Uh, in verse uh, 43, uh, and that awe, that the idea is, is fear, uh, is that they experienced the fear of the Lord, uh, and uh, they also got to experience miraculous signs performed by the apostles. Uh, and those miraculous signs were intended to, to authenticate the ministry of the apostles, to, to point and say, hey, these men are from God, and that is demonstrated by the miraculous works they are doing. So they, uh, they devoted themselves to something. They, they experienced the fear of the Lord uh, and the miracles of the apostles. Uh, and then verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And as we read elsewhere, they, they shared in one another's lives and they gave sacrificially to meet the needs of others. Uh, and I think that, that's always humbling uh, for, for me to see. It's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not as good as I should be at this in terms of giving sacrificially uh, and and caring for others uh, as as I'm commanded to and as we see in the early church here. Uh, but they also, they gathered together daily, in verse 46, in in the temple and in their homes. Uh, they, they they never grew tired of one another. Can you imagine that? Uh, you know, the, they, they just hung out all the time, sharing fellowship, being in the temple, being uh, in their homes together. And then in verse 47, all of that, praising God continuously and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
Now, that's, a, that's a beautiful, beautiful picture of life in the early church. And uh, it's a great measuring stick to hold ourselves up to, isn't it? Now, I say, hey, this is what life was like in the early church. Let, let's kind of see how we compare. Uh, and uh, like I said, usually we, we can get, get humbled by this measuring stick of seeing, wow, this is what life was like. And, and it was so good and so amazing. And why isn't our church like that? Or we, our church is like that and all of those things. But while it's a great measuring stick, we have to be really careful not to begin to idolize the measuring stick uh, and, and to hold that up as, um, as what we worship. Because the reality is, that as we're going to see, uh, that was like the early days of the church. It wasn't long before uh, church conflict arose and church discipline came into play and, and all of these other uh, external circumstances come to bear. But So we, we need to understand that this is a great measuring stick, but, it, but it's a really poor idol to begin to worship of church must be like this. There's going to be days where it is like this. There's going to be moments where it is like this. So we're going to... Uh, get to enjoy some sweet, sweet fellowship together. But there's also going to be other days, uh, and it's not going to be as enjoyable. But the, we, we need to, to understand and strive to copy the good and prepare ourselves uh, for uh, the bad uh, and, and expect the ugly as well. Uh, and so uh, when, we, when we come to expect uh, a perfect church with perfect people, uh, will we ever be content? <laughs> uh, no, we, we won't. What will we always be if we expect a perfect church? Yeah, frustrated, discontent. Why aren't people doing this? Why isn't this? Why isn't this? Uh, if we have that expectation of perfection, uh, we're always going to be grumbling and complaining in our own hearts, if not to others. Uh, and it would be wise for us to look to the early church for guidance, but also understand, hey, this is a measuring stick that we should strive for and hold ourselves up to, but not uh, necessarily worship. Uh, and uh, and we're, why we, we shouldn't worship it is we're, we're going to see... Uh, in our, in our second and third observations of, hey, so number one, we should, uh, we should strive to, to copy the good in the early church. But secondly, we should prepare to endure the persecution of the world. Uh, that's also what the early church uh, got to experience. And that's not nearly uh, as celebrated uh, in uh, our modern day times. If you, uh, just a couple things that, that the early church got to experience. Look over in Acts uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. Peter and John had been uh, speaking uh, in, in the, uh, to the, the council, the, the Sanhedrin, the same men who crucified Christ, Peter and John are now speaking in front of. Now, that would be intimidating, right? Uh, these are the men that crucified our Lord. And then this is this, is this conversation between Peter and John and the, and the council. Verse 15. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them, speaking of a man who had been healed, uh, is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, uh, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So 
Here we see, what did the Sanhedrin tell Peter and John? Hey, stop speaking about Jesus or else. They threatened them and they said, you can go from here, but you need to be silent. And Peter and John said, well, you tell us. If God's given us a message to proclaim, but you're telling us to be silent, who should we listen to? But that was this first level of persecution by the world. They, they, they threaten you and they, they tell you to be silent. And then uh, from there, as we flip over to, to Acts chapter 5, is that the next step after threatening you uh, would be to, to arrest you. Uh, and that's what, what happened in Acts chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 17. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So think about that. If you're in prison for proclaiming the gospel and an angel comes in the night, breaks you out, and says, Hey, go preach about the gospel again. Now, it seems like any... Uh, any normal person uh, or uh, would just say, actually, I, I just got arrested for that. I'm going to go the opposite direction. But Peter and Paul say, hey, uh, not, not Paul, uh, Peter and, and John say, all right, well, let's go back to the temple. So uh, verse 20, 21, oh, I'm sorry, verse 33, uh, they, had been, they went back to the, to the temple and began to, to preach. Uh, and they, they ultimately confront those who come and Ask them to stop teaching. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. When, they, when Peter and John continued to preach, the next step after, okay, we want you to be silent. All right, now we're going to arrest you. Now there's a desire to, to silence them, not just uh, asking them to be quiet, but to, to impose violence upon them. Uh, they had a desire to kill them, but ultimately... Uh, the Lord spared them. Look over in verse 40. Uh, after the advice of a man named Gamaliel, uh, they decided to, to call in the apostles and they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, meaning the, the name of Christ. And then verse 42, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is, that Christ, the Christ is Jesus. So think about that. They, they, were, they wanted to kill them, but they uh, ultimately released them after, after beating them with rods. Uh, it would be like taking a, a sturdy cane to somebody over and over again. And what was their response? They they rejoiced that they got to share in the sufferings of Christ. Uh, and again, that's, that's not usually talked about uh, in our churches today, of the reality that, hey, there is a, a world that, that's hostile, and we need to be prepared to endure whatever they send our way. Uh, in, uh, in John 15, if, we, if you turn over there, Jesus warned his, his apostles. Uh, this is the, the eve of his of his death, and he is speaking to them about what is most important uh, and what he wants them to understand. Uh, and in his last night together with them, in John 15, starting in verse 18, he says this. He says, If the world hates you, speaking to his disciples, know that it has hated me 
before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So Jesus says, what should we expect? A a warm welcome uh, from the world around us? No. Hostility, hatred. And why? Because they they hate our our Lord. They hate our master. Therefore, they're going to hate us as his servants, as those who follow him. They're going to hate us as well. And now now here in the United States, for the most part, we have it pretty good. Now, we are in no way uh, attacked or persecuted as uh, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ are in other places in the world. And we need to be praying for them. But, but we need to watch carefully and see what's going on within our own nation because uh, there, is a, there is a growing hostility towards uh, Christianity and towards Christ where uh, previously we were of a, I guess, a, a Christian, uh, we had cultural Christianity where it was culturally acceptable uh, to be a Christian, to attend church, to believe the Bible. Uh, that, that was kind of a part of cr- uh, American life, uh, is to be I- involved in a church and to read your Bible and to kind of put on this outward external display of Christianity. But that is eroding away, uh, and it, it's rapidly coming to hostility towards the gospel, outright hostility. In, in June of this year, Senator Bernie Sanders uh, opposed a, uh, a nominee uh, for a political office because of his Orthodox Christian beliefs. This, this gentleman had, had written a paper, uh, in essence, saying that, that Christ is the only way to be saved. Uh, and Bernie Sanders took issue with that and saying, hey, so you, you know, what about all the Muslims and what about everybody else? Uh, are you saying that they're not saved? And and the gentleman said, in essence, yeah. Uh, and so here you have a, uh, somebody who's nominated for office is, is being evaluated on a theological level. Uh, in essence, he, he, he was being opposed because he believed the exclusivity of Christ, that Christ is the only way to be saved. And then just last week, uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein of, of California opposed uh, a judicial nomination because um, th- this uh, judge w- was, a, was a Roman Catholic uh, and, uh, in essence, valued uh, life and, and was not uh, pro-choice but was pro-life. Uh, and so this reality, and now that's not necessarily exactly on uh, a persecution because of uh, Christ, but because of any kind of morality, anything connected with Christ is now being opposed. And, and where, so where does that begin to put us as we see this progression in the book of Acts from, from threats to arrests to, uh, to physical violence? Uh, ultimately, we're also going to see uh, death uh, as we see uh, Stephen is slain in Acts chapter 7. Uh, James uh, is killed in Acts chapter 12. Uh, where are we in our, in our country? We're beginning to be in Acts chapter 4. Uh, where the, the the world around us, the the, the culture, the, the news media, the government is beginning to say, be silent about the gospel. Just just keep your mouth shut and everything will be fine. But we have to respond the same way that the apostles responded, right? God, God's told us to proclaim. God's told us to speak. So we cannot be silent when God has told us to speak out. 
Now, so we must be prepared to, to stand for Christ regardless of the threats that come against us, even in the face of these external pressures of the world, uh, the, the persecution that we face. We still must be ready. And even as we enjoy amazing fellowship and as we strive to create that environment here, what do we also need to be ready for? For, for the persecution. And then as we come together, we, we're here to, to encourage one another, to, to recharge, and then uh, as we scatter into the world to reach our communities, uh, we carry forth the gospel and then come back together again uh, to, to encourage one another to love and good deeds and, uh, and to pray for one another and then scatter again. We have this, this habitual gathering and scattering that recharges us and sends us forth with the gospel. Uh, and we have to be ready for that. We have to, again, coach our expectations, uh, and our measuring stick must be one of, okay, fellowship and worship, but then also persecution coming our way. Uh, and those are the, the first two observations we can make, that we should uh, strive to, to copy uh, the advancement of the gospel. We should prepare ourselves to endure uh, the persecution of the world. And then thirdly, uh, we should cautiously expect the sin of believers. Uh, and this is if we could kind of look at this morning as the good, the bad, and the ugly. We've seen the good in the church. We've seen the bad of the world being hostile toward us. And now, uh, this is the ugly portion. This is what, it, what is most hurtful. And this is, this is sin among believers in the church, right? And that's usually what we're most often hurt by and cut the most deeply on, right? Your brother or sister in Christ sinning against you within uh, the church. Uh, and it wasn't long after uh, even what we read this morning that Acts chapter 5 takes place. Uh, Acts chapter 5, what heading do you have there in Acts chapter 5, verse 1? What do you, Ananias and Sapphira, what was that? Purging from within. Yeah, pur- purging from within. And see, what we have is we have lying within the church. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira, we, saw, we read about Barnabas. Uh, who, who sold a, a piece of land and brought the money and said, hey, I want to offer this. But Ananias and Sapphira said, hey, uh, they sold their land, but then only brought half of it uh, and wanted to, to act as if they had brought everything. Uh, and, and Peter says, hey, you're not, you're not lying to me. You're, you're lying to God. Uh, and the, the Lord took matters into his own hands. See, the, the Lord views sin in the church as a much more serious offense as sin outside of the church. Uh, and so we need to be uh, deeply grieved by sin within the church. And the Lord addressed it by taking the lives of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, and what was remarkable is the passage that we read in Acts chapter 5, that, th- that they, they, the church began to grow even more rapidly, and everybody held them in high esteem. Well, that was because they saw that sin was addressed within the church. Uh, and see, oftentimes we don't want to deal with sin in the church or address it as we should because we're, we're afraid that, oh, well, if the world around us sees that there's sin in the church, they, might, they may think differently of us. And it's like, well, the reality is if we don't address it, what does the world think? <laughs> there's sin in the church. But when, when sin is in the church, and guess what? It is here, uh, and the church addresses it as it should, it sends a message to the world around us that what? that God cares about sin and that we care about sin. But we also do it graciously. We call people to, to repentance and faith in Christ. So Acts chapter 5, we see there's liars in the church. We see church discipline. Acts chapter 6, guess what? We see racial tensions and, and conflict. Uh, the, they, the, the Greek widows are, are complaining that, that they aren't uh, being cared for in the same way as the Hebrew widows. 
Right? So, so we, have, we have church conflict, we have, we have racial tension, uh, but then that leads to, uh, to the appointment of uh, deacons in the church. And ultimately, one of those deacons is Stephen. Uh, and He gets to see this cycle of people bear false witness against him. He goes and stands trial for it, and then he's ultimately stoned to death. Uh, and the, the church is ultimately uh, persecuted to the point of having to flee for their lives by this guy named Saul. Uh, that God used all of that to advance the gospel, uh, but then we also see it kind of kicks off with, uh, with the sin of believers, of this prompting the, the leadership to, to come forward with a, with a solution of, hey, we, we need to appoint these, these deacons because uh, there, there's going to be conflict in the church, uh, and uh, the leadership dealt with it appropriately. So we see uh, there's liars in the church. We see church discipline. We see conflict in the church. Uh, and then Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 9, what, what heading do you have? There's a gentleman mentioned there. What was it? Uh, we have Philip in verse 4, uh, but then in verse 9 we have Simon. Okay, now, now, Philip... Uh, we can cheer on uh, as a as a one of those uh, deacons of he's also carrying the gospel forth. But then, but then Simon he is a you can say a false convert. Uh, he he gets baptized and then offers money to uh, to Peter uh, say hey give me the power of the Holy Spirit that you have I'll pay you for it. Uh, and Peter rebukes him strongly uh, and say hey, he, he says hey you need to repent. And Simon's response is hey can you just pray for me. Which is not a repentant response. Uh, uh, yeah, repent. Well, you just pray for me, and I'll be good. No, that, that's not uh, what uh, the remedy is. That's not the the solution to your sin. Uh, but you just see that all of these things are are within the church. Uh, and and as much as we we hold up and say, hey, we should be striving for this fellowship, we also need to understand that that among us, as we grow and as we reach others, there's there's going to be false converts. Later on in Acts, we also see there's going to be false teaching that we're going to have to combat. And there's going to be times where Bruce and I may have to say, all right, well, we, need to, we need to clarify an issue because uh, you know, something's been, been swirling around or something in the world around us is being promoted so heavily that we need to address it and talk about it from a biblical perspective. Uh, and just this, this reality of uh, the, the church is not going to be perfect. And if you think it's going to be perfect, just give it some time. Uh, and, and you see, even in the early church, it started so well, and it was amazing, but then over time, it's going to have its, its struggles, and it's going to have its difficulties. So uh, we need to, to strive to copy the good. We need to be prepared for uh, persecution from the world, and then kind of cautiously expect uh, that sinful people are going to sin, right? Uh, now, it doesn't mean that we don't resolve conflict. It doesn't mean that we, can, we don't confront sin uh, in the church. When it, w- those are things that we need to do to deal rightly with sin, but we should uh, expect others to, to sin against us. Don't be, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised uh, when there's conflict in the church. But we, who, how do we resolve conflict in the church? But by, by going and speaking, by going and confessing our own uh, actions, our own sin to others. And, and the reason that even though there can be the beauty of the church is there will be sin in the church, but there will also be resolution in the church, and there will also be reconciliation in the church because the church is a is a, itself a group of reconciled people who have been made right with God because of a reconciler, uh, and that's Christ. 
Uh, and so we need to we need to remember that, that that what unifies us is far greater than what divides us in terms of individual sinful actions or um, attitudes. Uh, and the the truth of the gospel should unite us and and knit our hearts together to the point where we can stand against the persecutions of the world and that we can endure sin within the church because we deal with it biblically. Uh, and, and, and that's what is uh, amazing here in, the, in, in Acts, if we see the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, what, we should, what we should strive to, to avoid, what we should expect, what we should uh, try and copy. And, and every Sunday we get, to, we get to gather together in worship just like they did, uh, to, to sing praises to God, to devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles, which we have in the New Testament. Uh, we get to do that on a weekly basis. And then throughout the week, we get to gather together uh, in smaller groups, sometimes just in two, sometimes you know, up to 10 to 12 of us, uh, to, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, uh, to share fellowship. And then uh, usually on the second Sunday of the month, just like we're doing today, uh, we get to have a fellowship meal. Uh, where we we eat together and we we get to enjoy one another's company just like they did in the early church and then also part of that uh, that breaking of bread uh, is also the celebration of the Lord's table uh, and if I can have the, the men come forward and uh, begin to just pass out uh, the elements of the Lord's table uh, but uh, the, the Lord's table we call it the Lord's table because Jesus instituted this in uh, that's what well, we same time we, we read in John 15. The, the last night with his uh, apostles, he I'll grab one here. He, he spoke with them, uh, and he. If you turn over to to Luke chapter 22, he instructed them to to do something in remembrance of him, uh, and to. To be a, a time of, of celebration, to be a time of memorial for for what he has done. If you look with me in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten... Uh, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. So Christ on the night that he was betrayed, he instituted this, uh, this celebration and memorial with his disciples and says, keep doing this. Uh, and as we partake of these elements, it's intended for believers as uh, a, a proclamation of our faith in his past sacrifice, uh, that Christ's uh, body and blood were shed and broken on our behalf. Uh, it's a, 
uh, an acknowledgement of our present fellowship with one another and with Christ, that Christ is united with us. We are in him. He is in us. We, we proclaim that. And then ultimately, we also proclaim a future reality that Christ is going to return one day. Uh, and that we look forward to that. And so we are commanded to do this in remembrance and until that day. So uh, let's uh, partake of the bread together that was uh, representative of his body that was broken on our behalf. And let's drink the cup that reminds us of his blood that was shed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we come to you thanking you for giving your life on the cross. We thank you for enduring the wrath of God that we deserved. Lord, you did not deserve it, but you, but you endured it so that we might be forgiven. Lord, we, we come this morning to celebrate that, to worship you for who you are and what you have done. Lord, you have brought us redemption. You have brought us forgiveness. Lord, now you are desiring us to, to live as a forgiven people, as a forgiven community in worship and fellowship and also proclaiming that same message that you have died for sinners to the world around us. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would... Help us to expect uh, the world around us to, even as we go and, and try and beg and implore them to be reconciled to you, Lord, they're going to hate us. They're going to attack us. They're going to, to threaten us and persecute us. Lord, we pray that you would give us strength, that you would give us boldness to be faithful ambassadors, to continue to carry forth the gospel, even as Peter and John did in the face of arrests and beatings, threats and persecutions. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to examine our own hearts this morning. To see that the sin in our hearts that you see and to address it biblically. To address it by confessing it to you. By agreeing with you about our sin. Asking for your forgiveness and then asking you to lead us and guide us in repenting of that sin of doing a U-turn, of turning around from what we've been pursuing and beginning to pursue you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I pray that you might continue to work here at Ambassador Bible Fellowship in the coming days, months, and years, that you would continue to knit our hearts together, and that you might glorify your name through us here at Ambassador. Lord, we love you. We ask that you would continue to work and exalt your name. In, in the name of Christ, we pray.